So lately I've noticed that a lot of online news outlets like Business Insider and HuffPost, they have like a shopping or deals affiliate section. And basically what I'm talking about is you'll see a headline and it says something like, here are the best exercise equipment purchases you can make on Amazon right now. And generally the links will point to an affiliate page and then they'll make some money. Uh, for PRs, this is kind of challenging because if you're trying to promote your client in that space, then your client might appear as competition to that outlet. And not to mention, if you read a lot of those stories, they don't necessarily always depend on external experts to pick out those best deals and coupons. Our guest is an exception to that. Anybody who promotes any sort of shopping or deals knows her by her name. Her name is Trey Bodge. She's been in countless outlets like Cheddar, Rachel Ratio, or CNBC. And honestly, I'm just scratching the surface with that list. She's been on TV over a hundred times and she's amazing. She's a lifestyle journalist and shopping expert with a passion for helping people save money. Welcome to the show, Trey. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So let's hop right in. Um, you seem to be everywhere, Trey. How did you become a widely cited and well-known deals expert? Um, well, it was the result of a pretty large pivot. Um, many years ago, I was the co-owner of a, a boutique cosmetics company. We specialized in the reproduction of discontinued colors. Like uh, if you had a discontinued lip gloss, we would reproduce it for you. We also worked with makeup artists around the world on their uh, Broadway and film sets and things like that. And I kind of hit a wall professionally and I decided I would pursue something new and I had no idea I was going to land where I, where I now am. Um, but I started writing frugal oriented content for a couple of websites and that led to a freelance gig at Retail Me Not, um, which then eventually led to me being their spokesperson for a few years. Um, so I, I learned the ins and outs of that whole space and um, they had a pretty large layoff in 2015 and I was part of that layoff. And I felt uh, strongly at that point that I could go off and do this on my own, which is what I've done. I've been on my own since then. And um, like you said, I contribute to a number of different publications and I do TV and it's um, a new and exciting adventure every day. That's insane. Um, kudos to you. That sounds like it, it can't be easy to go off on your own, but I mean, you owned it and I mean, you're literally everywhere. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> Thank did you. a lot of those relationships form after Retail Me Not or did you kind of just everyone knew you by name at that point and so you kind of built off of that? That's a great question. Um, so a lot of the relationships that I have now I did carry with me after Retail Me Not. Retail, uh, excuse me, reporters knew me from that relationship and it did take a little while for me to establish myself and as an authority in my own right, um, I think uh, in many cases, when you're a spokesperson, you're kind of a, a talking yeah. head for that business. And so I felt like I needed to prove myself. And I think that reporters were, you know, quietly and, in, in, you know, they were justified uh, to vet me mm -hmm. to make sure that I knew what I was talking about and I wasn't just reading off of a script. And so it took a little while, um, but those relationships really helped me in the long run, of course. And once I proved that I was who I, I was presenting myself to be, um, those relationships have lasted. And, you know, I do a lot of things to keep growing that list. Um, you know, I, I check out Help a Reporter every day. And, you know, a lot of publicists actually will send me things and say, hey, I saw Haro, that might be good for you. So I have a lot of people um, who are kind enough to look out for me as well, because I have 
like a thousand um, balls that I'm juggling in the air <laughs> at any particular time. Um, but that it takes a long time to kind of to build that trust with reporters and with producers for TV. But I, you know, my my motto is really slow and steady wins the race. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're consistent and you're constantly supplying good information, people will then rely on you. And I, I've been lucky enough to to find myself in that position. You're kind of like a dual PR person slash journalist, like you get to do both. True. Absolutely. I absolutely straddle that line um, because I also work with brands and help them with PR and marketing. On I go on, on TV on behalf of them. I write articles on behalf of them as well. So I absolutely straddle that line. And it's a very um, interesting place to be. And it allows me to have insight on, on both sides, which I really love. And it, and it keeps things really fresh for and me. And fun, too. I'm sure. Absolutely. Awesome. So usually we have a guest share a story that stemmed from a PR pitch. But you actually told us that you mostly work on assignments these days. So I'd love to ask, what does that mean for the PR person who would like to cold pitch you? Right. So, you know, this is a really interesting thing to look at because a lot of writers these days are working solely on assignment. Um, And then obviously there's another whole section of writers who are pitching. I have done both and have found myself more on the side of um, working on assignment. And so even if you find a writer who is working mostly on assignment, it's still okay to cold pitch them. Send them the pitches that you'd be pitching to a writer who might be pitching um, out a story to their editors because those pitches for me in particular, I digest those pitches. I um, I acknowledge if they're well-written, um, if they're well-organized, if there's maybe an expert that I can add to my expert roster for a story that I'm assigned down the road. And so I read uh, those pitches and I take them very seriously. So you should continue always to pitch a writer who you think is only working on assignment. And also because things change so much, you know, I could be given... Um, a a new writing role tomorrow where I need to be pitching. And so it's always good to maintain that contact. I'm really impressed that you have an expert roster. It sounds like you're very organized then and you keep tabs of the experts that are sent your way. That's true. So I, I do think it's really important to be very organized simply because if if I'm assigned something that's maybe not something that I write all the time, uh, for instance, when COVID hit, I started writing things about how to stay safe when you're traveling, you know, and I don't typically write about health. However, I've gathered over the years a list of health experts that I, then I was able to mine for my stories that I was being assigned. And so if you have an expert that you're pitching to a writer, even if it's slightly outside of their beat, it's wise for the writer to take that pitch seriously and add that person to that expert roster. You know, I have little headings. It's like, you know, health, finance, real estate, um, automobiles, you know, all sorts of things that you can imagine, things that I maybe don't cover very often, but then I always have those people to turn to when I am in need. Wow. Music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> we love hearing that. <laughs> we really do. Is it like, um, do you have like a spreadsheet or do you just label your emails? Yeah, it's in, well, it's in my contacts, actually. So uh, when it, when a new publicist reaches out to me or a publicist with whom I've been in touch previously, if they have a new expert and it's maybe under a new heading, I'll add it in my, um, in my contacts list. And so it's really easy for me to find if, for instance, I'm assigned something on 
the real estate market in New York City right now, um, then I have my whole list of real estate experts that I can go That's to. That's very cool. You sound very organized. I, I try to be, but I will say that I will remove people from my expert roster as well, um, because there are ways to to go wrong there. Um, if if I reach out to you and you have a client who's a good fit, and um, you say that you'll get back to me in a certain amount of time, and I'm very clear about my deadlines, and then you don't, um, or you drop off the face of the earth, which sometimes happens, you know, if it's something like that, something egregious enough that puts me in a bad position with my assignment, I will remove you from my expert roster because I can't take that chance again. And so being reliable and, and being on time as well, these things are all really important to writers because we have deadlines too. And so the more reliable you are, the the more it is that I may reach out to you and utilize your expert. Or for instance, if someone um, sends me tips that have already been published, say on their own blog, and they don't take the time to tweak them and rewrite them so they're fresh for me, like that puts me in a bad position because if you're sending me something that's already been published on your own site or on another publication, then I present that to my editor. And then my editor sees that it's been published somewhere else. That puts me in a an awkward yeah. position. So these things are really important. Um, so those relationships that you create with that freelance writer or that staff writer, giving them fresh material is really important. And if, for, for instance, if your expert isn't available and can't um, make the deadline, to be really upfront about that is also really helpful. And then I'll appreciate that as much moving forward. Yeah. So basically, you just don't want to get ghosted. If they can at least prove they're reliable, then you can understand if it's just not a good time for them. Absolutely. And we're all human and life happens. And so as long as you say to me, oh, my expert's not available for this, I hope you'll keep us in mind for another opportunity. I'm totally happy to do Ooh, that. More music to my ears. I Because uh, <laughs> that <laughs> happens sometimes. And sometimes as PR people, like I think we get a little frazzled when maybe the opportunity isn't totally like the timing might be off and our clients just not into it or whatever reason. So it's good to know that, you know, it's not the end of the world. We just need to communicate and not just hide behind. I don't know, nothing, I guess, but just hide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can't speak for other writers. I mean, obviously yeah. every writer has their own rules. We've learned that too. <laughs> I tend to kind of err. Yeah. It's like I err on the, on the, we're all human side. Um, so as long as you're up front with me, I mean, there's no reason that I would remove you from my roster, but if you ghost me, then we're, we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. That's completely understandable. <laughs> we talked about having a good sense of urgency. I mean, relatively, at least you need to be able to make your uh, deadlines. Are there any other qualities of what makes a good publicist a good publicist in your eyes? I think so. And I, I think so, especially during COVID, things have changed a lot, right? So I'm, I'm in New Jersey, right outside of New York City. And so I used to go to a lot of press events. It's so much easier to create a relationship in mm. person. And, you know, if, if we were back to uh, before COVID times, um, I think a really good publicist is one who creates that relationship with you in a way that doesn't feel like they're stalking you. Someone who's really good at that cadence, I think, is something that I really appreciate having straddled, having straddled that line of being on both sides. Um, that kind of work friendship that you can create, that uh, cadence of follow-up, I think is really important. I do find that during COVID, uh, especially earlier, and it's calming down a little bit, but I, 
there was a lot of desperation in the air. Um, I feel like um, a lot of publicists were struggling because their clients were threatening to pause them. And, you know, but we're, we're all under stress and we all continue to be under stress during this time. And so I don't really need to know that your client is pressuring yeah. you because I have my own pressures, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm pitching um, editors and I'm hoping to secure a story or a TV segment. And so we all have those pressures. I don't really need to know about that from you. And so the thing that I really don't appreciate that I've seen a lot of during COVID is that letting me see the desperation that you're feeling because I'm human and then I feel badly Mm -hmm. for you. And that's not the relationship that you want to set up because there are some things I just can't control. I, I may have a deadline. And so if you're, if your client isn't available to provide something, but I have a deadline, there's nothing I can do about that. And so to, to hard pitch me at that point, um, one publicist actually wrote to me and this was really stuck out in my head, um, in the subject line said, pick me, pick me. Um, and I just thought, oh my gosh, why are you doing that? Like, why are you making me feel bad? Because I know then that your client is breathing down your neck. And so I think it's really important to keep that kind of stuff under wraps because we are again, under pressure, all of us. And so be professional, follow up with a gentle cadence. You know, like I said, I, I work mostly on assignment. And so if you send me a pitch, I may not respond, but if you follow up, I will. And I'll say like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't have a fit for that right now. And that might be an opportunity for you to then say, oh, thanks so much for letting me know, you know, what are you working on right now? Or do you have a PR list that I could, I could sign up for? Um, and I know you want to talk do, about that yeah. a bit too. So, you know, that follow-up question, I think, is a really good way to create that relationship that you may not now be able to create in person. Um, So you could then say, like, you know, what are you working on right now? And, you know, how can we stay in touch? Is there anything that could be useful to you? You know, not aggressively, but a couple questions like that are, to me, very forward-thinking, and um, you're doing your job. And so I appreciate that, and I'll respond in kind. Yeah, and it's an, an example of how they're open to being collaborative. They're not just trying to push ideas down right. down your throat, basically. Exactly, and I and I know that you know you're under certain marching orders from your clients, right? And your client is saying, "I want coverage on this mm-hmm. thing," but it's your job as a publicist to be more nuanced right. than that and create that relationship with that writer that can then grow and 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 move forward where you could maybe have a you know something to collaborate on down the road, even if it's not right now. And your client may not understand that, and I get that having been on the other side too. But the relationship you want to create is with the writer, right? Because you don't know how many opportunities could come from just that gentle interaction at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. Man, I can't believe (laughs) I can't believe you've had a subject line that said, pick me, pick me. That's so unprofessional. (laughs) (laughs) It made me want to cry, to be honest. And and I will give you one more don't that I think is... um, A big pet peeve for me and a lot of writers, and I saw this... Uh, it was really out of control during the beginning of COVID. And I think now it's become such a subject in a lot of uh, Facebook groups and things that maybe people have learned not to do it. Um, but asking someone to add their client to something that's already Ew. published. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And let me tell you, like it became so, so rampant that especially when I'm writing for a bigger publication with a lot of viewership, I, the, the amount of times I was asked, say for something that I published in Newsweek, for instance, or for CNN underscored to the, the number of publicists who would ask me to add to something that was published was like five a day for a couple of weeks. 
And so by the end of the first day, my head was, I was, you know, my head was exploding. I couldn't. And, and so what I did as I kind of drafted um, a little bit of a canned response, and then I would personalize it each time and just explain, you know, by the way, this is, it's really unlikely that that's going to happen. Um, and in future, I would, I would suggest that you, um, rather than sort of being sour grapes about it or asking me to, you know, shove your client back into this already published post, maybe introduce that product to me for a future mm -hmm. assignment. And so that's what I would do. But I did actually post this on a, um, a PR group on Facebook and um, it was quite a lively conversation. <laughs> and a lot of reporters were like, I, you know, I just delete them and put them in my spam. And I just felt like, you know, this is a request is my guess is coming from someone who's young and experienced, or it's someone who's under pressure from their boss. And so I feel like, again, we're all human and it's to me a huge faux pas, but a faux pas that maybe I could take the time to teach you and maybe you won't make that mistake again. Wow. You know, that's kind of my approach rather than, you know, putting you in spam and never mm -hmm. having to hear from you again, because it's an honest mistake if you're young and inexperienced. Wow. That is so thoughtful right. though. <laughs> like, it is. I try. I was still angry, but <laughs> I was like, let me just, let me just send them this response out of respect for them and the, that being that we're, we're both humans, it's you know, we all, we all make mistakes. It's a healthy way to channel that anger. That's for sure. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about this whole thing is that whenever I get an email, for example, from somebody who's like, it does, it's not relevant to anything that I'm working on right now at the moment, I always love receiving emails like that because yes. in my mind, that's the beginning of what can be a really great, beneficial, and equally beneficial at that relationship. And mm -hmm. no thanks in my mind is not a dead end. I, and I, I think you're right. I will say that the amount of pitches I receive, I can't respond to every one. And so my rule is, is that if you pitch me and, and I, if I have time, I will respond right away. But if I don't say if I'm you know out and about or I've got a thousand things going on, if you follow up with me, I always respond oh, wow. unless I'm completely buried. And so the follow up is really good. You know, you're checking in. It shows me that you. it wasn't just a, you know, a decision mailing mm -hmm. that just went out into the ether to, you know, throw it out there and see what <laughs> sticks. And so if you follow up with me, then I will respond and I'll say, you know, unfortunately, I don't have a fit for this at this time. And to your point, Britt, that is, I've opened a door. Mm -hmm. And so then you can have a little discourse and say like, how, you know, is there anything else you're working on or how can I be added to your list or anything like that? Right. Let's talk about your list. <laughs> Yeah, that's how you found me, right? Yes. Um, I feel validated because you've responded to a cold pitch of mine. I don't remember. Probably a few months ago. Or no, probably six months ago at this point. Maybe a year ago. I don't know. Um, I don't work with that client anymore. But when I was working with that, I was working in the couponing space and I came across your name. So I just sent you a cold pitch, I think, in either introducing us or maybe sharing some blog content with you because we did a lot of deal stuff. Um, and then... You responded, and I believe it wasn't a good time, but you told me that you would add me to your list, and I love receive. I still receive it, and I look at it because it's actually pretty helpful. Do you want to talk about what the list is and how other publicists can get in on it? Sure. So, you know, if you'd like to be added to the list, you can just email me at trey at treybodge.com, and I will happily add you to my list. Um, I started creating the list. Um, I'm trying to remember if I 
I think it was right when I, when I was laid off and I had a few more months on contract with that client. Um, but I knew that I'd be going off on my own full time at some point. And so I started building this list and, um, oh no, actually now that I think of it, I started, I created the list before that because I was writing a lot for their blog and it was really helpful. So I now have 2000 publicists on that wow. list. Wow! And so it's been, you know, maybe five years and, so I've been building it slowly but surely. And so what it is, is, you know, about once a month and, you know, around holiday time, probably twice a month, I just send out a list of the stories I'm working on. And I, in many cases, I'm very clear what I'm looking for. And I might say, I want this in this format because for specific publications, it just helps streamline the process for me. Um, but I'll let you know, these are the things I'm looking for. These are the themes I'm shopping for. I'm looking for things under a certain price point. I'm looking for deals, whatever it may be. I'll let you know what publication it's for. So you can decide if it's worth your time or not. And I think that's fair. Um, and then, you know, I give you a deadline and then um, publicists will respond with pitches. And it's a great way for me to um, build that story, especially if it's a deal roundup with a hundred deals in it, you know, that that's a hundred opportunities that yeah. you might have, um, as a publicist. Um, right now I do a lot of, uh, I do a monthly deal roundup and the, um, the full list of say a hundred deals is on my site on truetray.com. And then a very edited curated list goes to msn.com. And that's only say 18 deals. It's very tight. That list really helps me build those pieces. And then if I have assignments from other publications, I'll add those in as well. And so if you'd like to be added to that list, you know, please feel free to email me and I, I'll happily add you. Yeah, your requests are very specific. If I remember correctly, you even specify image sizes if you need images and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. <laughs> I love it. Because the deal roundups, especially, they're so large that, you know, if, if, something, if I'm missing, say, if I'm asking for four different things and you send me two of those things, I'm, I may not even open your email, right? you know, like I may not even respond because the amount of, um, pitches that I receive for those pieces, it's just massive. It's hundreds and hundreds of emails. And so if I take the time to tell you the four things that I want and you only send me two, that to me is just showing a lack of professional courtesy. Mm -hmm. And it makes my job so hard. I shouldn't have to email back and forth with you 10 times to get the information that I asked for from the very beginning. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. You don't ask for much, Trey, I have to say. You're just asking people to do their <laughs> I jobs. I feel like I do. It took me, it's taken me actually months now mm -hmm. to find language. And maybe that's on me. You know, mm -hmm. maybe I wasn't clear enough. And so I, I fine tune every month. I finally, in the last couple months, I'm getting what I need from most people, but say even four months ago when I started doing this the series on MSN, I needed things to be very specific, and I think that's when we were first in contact. Yeah. Um, and it it was it, it was mind boggling how how little information I was getting that I was asking for. And so again, like I looked at myself and I said, how can I be more clear? And what are the mistakes that people are making? And how can I explain this better? Um, but I, and I also think that people realize like, oh, I can't just throw this at Trey and she's going to figure it out. No, you know, yeah. like if I say I need a brief description of your brand and you send me an, a, a huge press release that's like 500 <laughs> words long and I say, please, no more than 20 words, I'm going to be annoyed, you know, because these, these, the deal roundups are such, it's such a huge project that it's like, I'm asking you to do the work 
on your end. And then if you give me what I want, like I'm so much happier and it makes my job so much easier. And then I want to work with you again because you hurt me. And I, and I really appreciate that. Do you find that the publicists that are most helpful come from like retailers and e-commerce sites or are they more like third-party deal websites or things like that? You know what I'm asking? Yeah. Um, well, it's really the, most of the people on my list are from PR agencies oh, okay. and so, yeah. and they represent a number of clients. And so some of them are, um, say small independent designers, or some of them are from large retailers. And so it really does vary quite a bit. Um, some retail, some in-house PR teams do reach out. I find that they're less likely to read the instructions. Interesting. Um, Take note. <laughs> I also, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, I, I feel like the in-house teams are often less experienced than the agency teams. And I'm not quite sure what that's about. Um, but then I do sometimes I have a couple people on my list who consult with smaller brands. And so they'll kind of farm my request out to their, you know, their handful of clients or 20 clients, whatever it may be. And then they'll reach out to me directly. And those almost always have multiple problems with them. So having been an entrepreneur myself for many years, I try to be a little bit more patient with the small independent designer who is working out of their garage. And I might take more time and write them back and say, Hey, like, here's the, the, you know, here's the list of things I need. Like if you can get this to me by my deadline, I'm happy to consider. But if I receive pitches from an agency and they're, they're all a mess, like I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give a lot of time to that. Cause I feel like, you know, I know work better. for an agency. Yeah. I do my instructions. But with the smaller independent brands, I tend to be um, a little gentler. <laughs> and I, I feel like a lot of people are scared of me now because they're like, if I don't send Trey that thing the way she wants, like she's not going to pay attention to my email. And I, I, I feel sad that that's, that's the case, but it's just the reality. Like I, I've got too many balls in the air to, to, you know, to have a 10 email back and forth with you on something. Yeah. I like that you're patient with the people that might need a little more handholding, but I think Anybody with any sort of mm, like hard PR training, I guess you could call it anybody, especially anybody who's worked in an agency knows that you just have to follow the directions exactly. You know, it's not even that it might be a lot of work on the publicist's end, but what you're giving back is so much more valuable, I guess. Maybe not more valuable. What's the right word? I don't know. Worth the effort. What they're, yeah, it's worth the effort. I, I would think so. And if it's not, then, then the door- you don't need to send them. But <laughs> exactly. the other thing that I, I do find, which is kind of interesting, is the publicists who I know personally, mm-hmm. who I've met at events and have a long-term relationship, they tend to be a little looser. And so we have this relationship. And so they just like, you know, vomit a press release at me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I know we're friends and we like follow each other on Instagram and we've had coffee, but like, come on, you know, and that puts me in an awkward position because we're friendly. And then I have to say like, Hey, could you just give me the four things I asked for? Like, it's because you have that kind of ease in the relationship, but then you make my, my job harder. And then I'm in a bad position then that I have to say, like, can you just please follow my instructions like everybody else? And that's kind of, something that makes it tough for me. And, and I wish that that wasn't the case that, yeah. that I'm receiving pitches like that. Right. You don't want to take advantage of the relationship that you built together. Yeah. And it's, it's something for me to be mindful of too, where when I'm pitching 
myself to a producer, for instance, who I've met a thousand times and I've had coffee with, I find myself feeling more casual as I'm writing the pitch. And then I remember those times, how I felt when a friend publicist does that to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, this has to be buttoned up every single time. Professionalism always. And then you can always say like, oh, hope you had a good vacation. It looked like you had such a great time with your family. Here are a couple ideas for you and flesh it out as professionally as I would if I were cold pitching. You know, it's giving that professionalism every time, despite the relationship, I think is a really important thing to remember. That's great. So you mentioned events pre-COVID. What kind of events were you going to? Lots of press previews. So, um, you know, July, August were very busy times for, say, a pre-holiday press preview for the larger retailers, especially like, you know, your Walmart, your Amazon, Home Depot. Um, So going to those press previews, seeing what they had kind of on deck for holiday, Um, very helpful to inspire future stories. Or if something struck me and I didn't have an assignment yet, like I may build a list of like potential holiday gifts that I might want to cover if I'm assigned a roundup, that kind of thing. And that's great for relationship building and also for exploration. Um, And, you know, obviously now it's so different where everything's virtual and I'm still getting used to that whole piece of it because, you know, some, some, uh, PR, PR agencies or, or retailers are having, I think good virtual events mm-hmm. and others are not so good, but overall there's a, a big disconnect. Um, and it's very different, but you know, people are just doing the best they can, right. Yeah. They're just trying to see what, what works for everybody. Have you met anyone at a virtual event that you adequately mark like networked with, or is it just kind of out the window? right now? Um, yeah, I think that if a publicist is heading up a PR preview that's virtual and they have, like, we have a good back and forth and they're, um, sending product ahead of time for this preview that we're having. Um, and I think that's really helpful by the way, if anyone is planning a virtual event to send product, Uh um, either before or right after. I've definitely seen some hesitation from publicists who don't want to send product. And I'm kind of like the money that you're, you you would have spent yep. on this, like renting out a space in New York City, feeding a bunch of writers lunch, all that money is not being spent. So the only investment you're making is in this virtual platform, perhaps that you need, unless you're just having a straight Zoom meeting, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, should really kind of suck up that expense and send product because I've been to several previews already where there's no product sent. And once I see sort of the demo of the product, it's very helpful to me to see it in person, try it in person, taste it in person. If you're having a food or a wine event and there's no product, like you can tell me that your wine tastes good all day long, but if I can't taste it and experience it myself, then it, it's kind of your message is lost. Yeah, no kidding. And so I would strongly recommend product for everyone. And if you're, you know, if you're sending out invites, you should be sending out invites to reporters who you've vetted, reporters who might cover your beat. And so you'd be doing that same due diligence if you were having an in-person event and you'd be sending that person away with some product likely. 
Um, so you should be doing that now. And I've seen a bit of a disconnect there, which I think is unfortunate. Wow. How do they get your address to send it? Do they just ask for it? Or that was is that... my question. Yeah. <laughs> Good. We don't do that, you know, so it's kind of cute. I'm interested. Yeah. So, you know, they'll, uh, you know, there's a, an outreach email and they'll say, hey, we're having this event. You know, are you interested in attending? Um, and then at that point, when I respond and say, yes, I'm available at this date, this time, um, and then they'll ask for the address. Okay. Um, I've, I've attended some, a couple of really cool ones, you know, like Maison du Chocolat. They usually have an, an in-person event where you get to go to the store. In this case, they didn't have that. And so they had their founder on Zoom and he was talking about the new collections cool. and they had sent it in a beautiful hat box in advance. And I was happy as a clam, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I love chocolate. And so I was able to taste along with him and it was a very immersive virtual experience. And now like I've bookmarked that brand for, you know, my, if I have a holiday gift guide that I'm going to write, which I likely will, I I'm very excited to write about them. But then those other brands that didn't send anything and they explained, you know, the inspiration for the collection and the origin of the brand and then nothing afterwards, it's kind of like, Oh, I barely remember what they even talked about. Yeah, You know, it's like that you're just sealing the deal. I feel like with providing that product. And the other thing I would say about virtual events, and I, and I think every reporter and writer is there, we're all different, of course, yep. but I prefer that if you're going to have a PR event to have kind of a group zoom, um, where there's a number of us on the call and, you know, you kind of, it's for us, it's like, we're working from home now. We see people we know, and that's kind of fun. And it's a little bit more collaborative and everyone's talking about the products or feeling that sweater or tasting that chocolate. Um, It's a little bit more fun versus a one-on-one virtual event. And I feel the same way about desk sides, I'll say. So I'll cover that kind of all in one point. So I prefer when events are happening again to go to more of a group event where it's a little bit social and people are coming and going and you can run into people and because it takes the pressure off of us to, you know, say, oh yes, I'm writing about this product in my next story. We may not have that assignment yet. And so there's a pressure that, that we feel, I think as writers, like, oh gosh, I have to cover this Mm -hmm. thing because I'm having this one-on-one desk side versus that group event or that group virtual event where the pressure is off a little bit and we have a great time and we can bookmark it to cover it later if we don't have an immediate fit. It's just more relaxing for us versus that like, we sat down with you for a half an hour. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like that kind of, feel, which is, and plus, you know, that you're, you're not subjecting your CEO or your product developer or your spokesperson to a hundred virtual events where they have to say the same thing over and over versus like four sessions and they only have to do it four times. And then you reach that many more people and it's that much more efficient on that side too. So besides prioritizing product that you've actually used and tried out, what other incentives are appealing to you? For example, do you often partner up with brands and companies via an affiliate program? I'm starting to do that a little bit. I mean, I'm hesitant to pursue relationships like that still because my web my web traffic is my of my personal site is growing nicely now, but like it's still small, right? Yeah. So if I'm partnering with a brand in an affiliate you know, have with an affiliate relationship, that affiliate relationship isn't useful to me if I'm writing something for MSN because MSN is going to use their own affiliate link. Mm -hmm. So there's no advantage to me as the writer to have an affiliate relationship. The only advantage is if I can cover that 
product on my site or now on Instagram, obviously you have to have a certain number of followers to then utilize the swipe up uh, functionality on stories. And in the past couple of months, I reached that threshold. So now I can do that. Thank you. (laughs) It was a long road. (laughs) And so I'm quite uh, proud of myself because it took so long and I'm like, I'm finally there. And so I'm much more open to relationships now, you know, whereas, you know, if someone wants to partner on an, an Instagram, um, kind of a fun giveaway or a, a sale that they want me to share. Um, but it's gotta be something I really like. And that's the other thing I'm going to want to try that product. Mm-hmm. So again, if I ask for that product and you're not willing to send it to me, but you want to have an affiliate partnership, like there's just no point right. of doing that unless I need to be in love with that product in order to promote it on my Instagram, because I'm just not, uh, interested in promoting something just for the fil- the affiliate link. Like I have to love you that. You have to stand by it and to stand by whatever you share. Yeah, I have to have that product. And so that's really important to me. So to answer your question in a very long way, I apologize for the <laughs> no, don't long apologize. answer. The affiliate link is of interest to me for my site and my Instagram, but I don't feel like my site is big enough to take it to make a that. practice of pursuing uh, affiliate relationships just yet, you know, because I can't utilize it on, on MSN. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine if you could though? I know. And I'm quite delighted to do that, frankly. Oh, gosh, um, me too. With the affiliate um, space, I would advise any publicists out there who are working with brands or retailers who do not have affiliate um, set up, that they should do so right away. Because many platforms now will only include goods or services from uh, platforms that have affiliate relationships. So for instance, CNN underscored is one of them. Um, the strategist from uh, New York magazine, um, Wirecutter, today.com. There are, and, and magazines too, like the good housekeeping blog, like there it's becoming a huge thing. It's how these platforms make money. So if you don't have an, that affiliate set up, you might be losing lots of opportunities because of not having that in place. And so I would strongly recommend getting that kind of set up because then when that writer says, do you have affiliate, you know, an affiliate that I can, you know, we can connect to, then that's all set up and you're ready to go. Um, CNN underscored specifically, I could not write about anything that wasn't, um, listed on big links, for instance. And so that makes the writer's job really hard. And then you're kind of like tossing out all the brands and retailers that don't have those relationships. And so there's that like vetting process. And then you focus on the brands that only have that, but that's like something I would put in my email blast, right? Like I'd say, you know, you have to have an affiliate set up or you have to be from one of these larger retailers, which all have the the affiliate set up. So even if you're a small brand, but you're sold on Amazon, Amazon automatically has an affiliate. So that's a good way to kind of get around it. Like if you're sold on Amazon, you're covered. But if you're not sold on Amazon, but you are sold on Walmart or Target or any of like larger websites, you're probably covered as well. But if you're trying to put the focus on your own brand website, you should have affiliate set up. It makes sense. Um, that's really cool. Wow, I've learned a lot. Good, I'm glad. It, it really is a whole new world um, with with affiliate. Um, I think it's because you know advertising dollars are down. 
brands are finding, you know, trying to figure out new ways and, and editorial platforms are trying to find new ways to mm-hmm. make money. And so it's becoming really a necessity. Great. Right. And it fits in with the whole job of what a PR person should do, which is make the journalists' lives easier. Um, and that's one lesson I think all PRs should probably do a better job at learning and keeping in mind is understanding the business side of media, because that can kind of guide the direction of where you should be headed next in your media relations. So that's really cool. That's yeah. true. Before we go, do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners, Trey? Yeah. Um, so this is something that I um, would suggest if you are um, a publicist and you like to pick up the phone and pitch reporters by phone, I would say don't do that anymore. Asking for a piece to be updated and then also cold pitching on the phone are the two things that most of the reporters I know really have a hard time with. I know that phone pitching, it's sort of old school. And so I think publicists who've been around for a long time, that's kind of how they used to pitch, right? And how they create those relationships. And it is a great way to, to create a relationship, but it's just not the way things are done now. And um, sort of as a part of that, pitching people by DM um, is also not advised. And so if you're looking for a way to connect with a reporter, you should be able to find them on, you know, Muckrack or Cision or whatever it may be. If you can't find their contact information there and connect with them by email, you can certainly follow them on uh, social media, that will give you a lot of insight into what they're interested in, what they're doing, ways that you can kind of personalize pitches that um, are relevant to them. Um, You can also DM them and say, hey, you know, I I love your work. I saw your recent piece on XYZ. You know, is, is there an email that you wouldn't mind providing where I could pitch you? And then pitch them by email. Um, Very few reporters want to be pitched by DM. And I find it to be almost like an invasion yeah. when it comes to me um, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, unless they're asking me for, for my email address. Like I just don't like being pitched that way. And I know that a lot of reporters feel the same. If we are happy to give you our email address, follow up with us that way, or do not stalk us on LinkedIn is, a, is another thing. <laughs> so get the information you need and then go by email. Unless they say to you, I love it when you DM me your pitches, <laughs> like feel free. But Never heard that one. <laughs> no, don't. And don't, don't, you know, email me and then a month later DM me like to mix it. I find that people sometimes feel like they want to like mix it up and I don't appreciate that. Stick to okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't think other reporters do, do either. Email is really the preference unless you're told otherwise. Right. Well, thanks for joining us, Trey. I think we all learned a lot. Reminder to our listeners, links to what we talked about will be in the show notes. And until next time. Thanks, Trey. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to another episode of We Earn Media. If you tune in often, Jackie and I would love for you to leave us a review. We're always trying to improve and it's so helpful for us to know what you're loving most about this podcast. We're always trying to improve and it's so helpful to know what you're liking most about the podcast. Thanks so much.